Hey, entrepreneurs, have I told you that entrepreneurship is a bitch? Well, this is episode nine. When you fail, recover quickly and pivot. We'll chat on the other side after. So the recently, intro. I have been in a very reflective mood, and I remember a quote that someone I interviewed for this podcast had shared, and it's basically the title for this podcast. So, as I mentioned before, it is when you fail, recover quickly and pivot. And that's the advice from from this particular entrepreneur. And her name is Marquisha Velasquez, and she is the designer and the owner of Junior Baby Hatter. And I had the pleasure of meeting her at a networking event in Manhattan, and we just had an instant connection and I really enjoyed her story. So, I wanted to bring the story to you and share it with you so that you can hear about what inspires people to start businesses. And for this person, for Markeisha, it was shortly after the birth of her child, she decided to create something based on what she felt was a lack in the industry for boys. I could completely relate because I was there as well. The difference the difference is that she could actually sew and bring her designs to fruition and I couldn't and I wasn't even trying to learn. But anyway, um, I find that many women who, I guess once you have a baby, it puts you in a different state of mind. And you always, not that you're searching for a lack in any way, but things appear to you, right? You start to notice what there isn't a lot of. And in many cases, if you are the entrepreneurial type, you will identify that lack and you will find out how can you bring a product to market that can satisfy that need. And also you look at, hey, if I'm in this position, so are many other moms. Well, that's what exactly what Markeisha did. And now I'd like to bring to you her story of Junior Baby Hatter, a business that she started back in 2014. Junior Baby Hatter was started because Markeisha felt there were a lack of options to dress up boys, right? Many stores only had streetwear or just a lot of sweatpants and sweat tops and khakis and t-shirts for boys. So there really wasn't a lot of creativity. So she decided to change that. And she brought something to the market, which um, just as the name of her business suggests, Junior Baby Hatter, it's all about hats. But it's not just for babies, right? It's also for their dads. So when dad is so excited about having his son that he can bond with, this is one other way to do so through fashion. So check out Markeisha's story. It's less about failure and pivoting and more about following your passion. I hope you enjoy it. Entrepreneurship is a bitch, period. You may have begun your entrepreneurial journey with passion, with hope, and with fire burning in your soul because you could taste the possibilities. But you didn't consider the outside forces that affect the journey to success. Maybe you have longed to start your business and never did, or you started a business but felt as though you didn't give it your all. You dabbled in it. Why? Because life happens, marriage happens, kids happen, and they can delay your ultimate success. But hold on. Don't give up yet. I'm Bree Cobb, a rebranding expert and digital marketing strategist, 
helping small businesses get visible, make an impact in their industries, and connect with prospects who want what they sell. I left a high-paying corporate brand management job to pursue entrepreneurship, but I didn't factor in my high-maintenance husband and my demanding children. I want to share with you the real deal about entrepreneurship. The highs, the lows, the pivots, the tears and the jeers, the stress and the mess. I've got a lot to say, so let's talk. Welcome, Markeisha. How are you? Good. How are you, Bree? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Of course. Thank you for making time so that I can interview you and you can share all of your great entrepreneurial tips with our viewers. Yes, yes. I actually have to go to like a market later on tonight. We're doing all of our holiday markets. We're in the middle of retail craziness. Oh, okay. Excellent. <laughs> Sounds like good stuff. Yeah. Are you going to do it in the city? Yeah, it's going to be in the Etsy headquarters. We're going to go in, in Brooklyn. So yeah, like a lot of the markets I do are either in Manhattan or in Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I will start with asking you one question, um, which is about your background. Okay. Can you share with me as well as our viewers, who is Markeisha professionally? Yeah, so I started the company um, about 2014, So, but I pretty much still do a lot of everything for the company okay. as far as, like, I design the hats, I source all the fabric, you know, I go to the city, I go to trade shows, um, I talk to the production people to kind of, like, make sure everything's on time or on schedule for collections. I um, do sometimes pattern corrections. Um, so I'm making it, designing it, and I'm, and, um, I'm also doing, like, the marketing and the business side of it, which is pretty oh great. Oh, my gosh. So you literally wear many hats. Yes, I wear many hats. I make many hats. <laughs> Pun intended. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And um, so prior to doing your baby hatter, where were you? Or what were you doing? Well, before that, I was working in uh, Jones in New York, I was doing like women's wear in the sports department. Mm -hmm. So I was doing like design assist assistant work. A lot of it was mostly like, um, it was mostly like support work, you know, where you make sure everything is organized and like any changes would go down from the designer to the production team and, and uh, work with cross-functional team members. So that okay. was one of my, my first jobs out of fashion school because I went to FIT. Okay. Um, before that, I was in Florida, actually. I was working at Disney in the costume department, and I originally studied um, theater design and technology, which is, um, like, where you learn how to do, you know, costume design, you learn how to make all kinds of fun sets and do lighting design, all that kind of thing. So I've always kind of been creative, and I always love to sew because I would spend all of my time in the costume department learning how to sew and drape and learning how, you know, fabrics work, you know, and different like fibers and stuff like that so that was always like my passion is to learn how to make things okay yeah i admire people that can do that you know to <laughs> an idea and then bring it to life because that's one thing i've never been able to do i cannot sew at all yeah it just takes patience really like i don't have <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like most people they, you know no one really makes clothes anymore but like you know 50 years ago people still make clothes and yeah. you know do stuff for their kids or make stuff for themselves so right okay so what led you to establish Junior Baby Hatter? Like, how did you go from Jones, New York, costume design, Jones, New York, and then creating your own business? What, what was your journey like? Yeah, well, I mean, when I moved to New York, I, I moved with my husband. We moved from Florida to New York, and I 
really was like, you know, all starry-eyed in the city and mm -hmm. had these big dreams of being in the fashion industry. And then I, I got pregnant. So <laughs> I was like, okay, it's kind of changing my, my like idea of what I wanted and like you know, having this big city life and like working all the time. So, right. you know, shortly after I actually lost my job because the company was bought out by another group and a lot of people got laid off, including myself. So was, it kind of forced me to like think about what did I really wanted to do. And honestly, I, what I was doing at Jones, I liked it, but it wasn't as creative as I wanted it to be. And I wasn't able to do like hands-on, like making things because of in corporate fashion, you know, all of the production is overseas. And mostly there's just like the design and then like um, the technical production of it. But most of the actual like making things and like the tactile part of it is like offshore. So for me, I wanted to like have an opportunity to make my, some, something of my own and like design it produce it and like have that satisfaction of making it from start to finish okay. um so and then also with my son like when he was born I wanted to dress him up because <laughs> that's what I love to do is like you know dress people up and have them feel confident that kind of thing so but with boys it wasn't as many options you know to dress up like a boy as it is for girls like when I would go shopping like the girls section would be like saturated with all these fun like of That's course. <laughs> yeah, people just spend a lot of money on their, their girls. <laughs> they do. But like with boys, it's like sweatpants, ball caps, you know. So I wanted something like a little bit more special and polished mm -hmm. for him. Mm -hmm. You know, so I decided to like go with the flat cap because my husband, he actually wears flat caps all the time, like these newsboy style hats or whatever. Okay. And it would be really fun if my son wore it too. Okay, so, he, so your husband, his sense of fashion was kind of your inspiration. Yeah, yeah. My, I mean, my husband, he's not super into fashion. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he just, like, he wants to look put together with as little effort as possible. <laughs> like, I think most guys who are, like, commuting in the city or, you know, they have a family. So, for me, the hat was, like, the perfect solution of doing that. Just, you know, have an accessory where you have, like, style. Right. Like, so high fashion where it feels, um, like, something completely out of reach for the average guy or the average, like, dad or kid. So. Right. Well, I agree with what you um, with what you mentioned about fashion for boys being limited. Now, my son, I'm not even going to tell you his age, <laughs> but <laughs> when he was a baby, I was always in the stores as well, but I felt like every season I'm repurchasing items that he kind of has. It was just a matter of getting a new size. Right. And, you know, different sweat tops, even though, regardless of who the designer was, it could be a little difference in terms of patterns, but it was essentially the same items, you know? Right, yeah. So kudos to you for um, doing something about it. See, if I could sew, <laughs> maybe I would have been inspired. <laughs> to do yeah, to come up with something different and fun, yeah. yeah, for boys too. So I love the name Junior Baby Hat. I think it's very catchy. How did you create it? I just wanted something really straightforward because um, I know like a lot of brands, they do like maybe their kids' names, like if they're another parent, they'll, you know, name it after the kid, um, or they'll come up with some kind of like unique name, sounding name or something like that. But I really just want it to be straightforward. <laughs> so you know exactly what, like when you Google it, you know, oh, baby hatter, you're obviously looking up like hats for kids and, mm -hmm. um, you know, put the word baby in it. So it's kind of like more from a branding perspective um, of how I wanted it to be identified and, um, also, I, like, looked at gentleman hatters, like, that's kind of, like, a term they would use in, like, UK, like, but, like, very, like, a long time ago, like, the 1800s or 1700s, they would say hatter mm -hmm. instead of, you know, 
like hat maker or whatever. So I just decided to kind of play off of that, like where the hats kind of have a style that a man would wear, but it's kind of like a mini version of that. So I thought instead of gentleman hatter, I'll be a baby hatter. So right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it's very unique and, uh, you know, I'm quite certain you don't have a lot of competition in terms of when people are searching for the name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you decided that you were going to launch your business, did you conduct research? So I know sometimes as, as an entrepreneur, you have an idea and you just go for it. And other times people, you know, can stall because they're doing so much research. Yeah. Um, and in some cases it works to do a little bit that kind of inspires the direction that you proceed in. Did you, which route did you take? Did you decide to conduct some research or you just kind of went for it because you had an idea that you loved? Kind of like both. I kind of like launched it, but um, before I like really invested a lot of money in, in it, I did do some research with like doing some focus groups. Like, you know, I had times where I go to like a local um, brunch place and invite, you know, parents or families over to kind of like look at the hats, like the prototypes and then talk about, you know, how much are they willing to pay or like, what do you think of this? Just getting like feedback or like, what are some of your um, like pain points when you're shopping for kids clothes in general or for like hats, that kind of thing, or like, would you pay this much for it or just different things like that. I did a couple of focus groups at um, some mommy and me groups. Um, so I did get to talk to customers like one-on-one, but also just like researching online, looking at what, what other companies are charging as far as like pricing, like what's their pricing model. Um, right. Know, where do they make their their hats you know because I'm not gonna try to compete with people who are doing like mass production overseas but like if there's like a, a company that's doing also like designer accessories or designer headwear I can kind of like you know look at that price range and like kind of fabrics materials they use and um, okay. just constantly researching yeah if I can get a more competitive price for like sourcing the materials um, right. but really I'm like passionate about keeping the production domestic so that's where I, I don't like cut as many costs because I, I want it to be where it's like it's an item that is for kids but it's also ethically made and it, it gives people a living wage because that's like a problem a lot with fashion is you know a lot of things are you know mass produced or it's like made in conditions you most consumers aren't really aware of or they don't really think about it and I, I kind of wanted to cater to like a more conscious consumer okay yeah so so you've conducted research. Um, did you find that whatever your findings were from the research, it translated into reality? And I ask that because sometimes, especially if you are conducting a focus group amongst family members and friends, everyone loves you. I mean, and I know sometimes yeah. it, can also, it can also be the opposite where they're brutally honest and say, oh, I hate it or whatever. Yeah. But if they were in favor of the direction you were headed and they said, oh, the price point sounds good. Yes, I would buy. You know, it's always those top two boxes, you know, right. definitely would buy or most likely would buy. Yeah. Did you find that if you based your, your, um, if you based your products as well as your, um, as well as your price points and everything off of the feedback or the results that you got from the focus groups, did you find that it was like a direct translation or did you find there were any discrepancies there? Yeah, there's definitely discrepancies. It's so funny because um, I didn't really, I mean, I did like, an, I did an MBA like online while I was launching my business. So I was trying to learn more about marketing. For me, that's where um, I have the most like trouble because I'm not trained in that. And like, I, I have a more like creative brain than a, 
you know, more business-minded brain. So for me, that's like the thing I'm always like striving to be better at is with business in general and like marketing. So but one thing I found that I probably should not have asked <laughs> in focus groups is like, how much would you pay for X, Y, and Z? Like you never ask like a potential customer, how much would you pay? What you should be asking is, what do you pay right now? Like just ask people, what are you currently paying? Like what are their current behaviors because people will always say oh I would, I would pay this much but then in reality they don't or like they want something like convenient so just learning about that like people will like think in the original focus groups that they would pay like um, upwards of like $50 for a child's hat but in reality they feel more comfortable comfortable around like the $30 range or less you know for a kid's right. hat and um but like a lot of times when I do markets like I'm doing a market today like that's the best time to get direct feedback from people about like the things they like or like seeing how they put it on or seeing if they're having trouble keeping that you know hat on their kid or like asking them why or you know that's really the best feedback or getting the feedback constantly from customers who've already made the purchase right right so, yeah. exactly discrepancy. <laughs> yeah because I, you know, I always find that to be interesting you know back from my corporate days as well as currently it's always interesting that when you try to, you know, elicit information and you try to get as many truths as you possibly can, but I don't think people have any intent to be deceptive, but right. at the moment they truly do feel, oh yeah, I do that. Yeah. When they're faced with putting their dollars right. <laughs> in something, it completely changes, you know? So I was just curious to see what your experience uh, had been. Oh yeah, definitely. So what about um, in terms of your target audience? Mm -hmm. Who do you primarily market to? Because you have um, products for dads as well as babies. Are you marketing to dads and trying to get that emotional, that emotional connection because, hey, you know, you and your son could bond, you could be dressed similarly, or do you market to the moms slash wives or girlfriends, whatever the label is, um, because they, in many cases, are the ones, you know, not just with the buying power, but they make the buying decisions. Well, currently we are marketing to dads, but what I've found is that when we market to dads, even the moms will still follow you, like especially on social media, there's like a lot of, you know, accounts where people are specifically catering to dads, but you'll still have a lot of women and moms or grandmas still following that and commenting and liking things because um, they like the imagery of, you know, uh, like a family man or like the bonding, the special connection between the father and the son or the father and the family, that kind of thing. So at first when we started, we were going for like the mom market, like the millennial mom market around like 25 to 35 was our target. But what we found is super saturated. Um, there's a lot of people going for that market. So we thought in order to stand out, we would go more towards the dads. And that's kind of been like a new trend for the past few years is like going after this new millennial dad market. Right. Um, but honestly, when it comes down to sales, it's still mostly the moms who make the buying decisions like you know they'll share it with their husband but at the end of the day they're the ones entering the credit card number in so <laughs> exactly. you know I mean? like they're the ones who's making the purchases so but we still have our imagery geared towards like a more like masculine feel not like overly masculine but still more towards that and having like that imagery right so now did you as a result of your research did you target the moms first in the 25 plus crowd because of what you were gathering because of your findings from the research? But yes. then through real life experience, then you transitioned, right? And that's, that's always interesting to me how that works. And people often put so much into research, which 
you should to get kind of the basis of how you should proceed in business, but then nothing beats real life experience, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, just like being open to, to pivot or to like if you're noticing these trends, you know, in the market or if you're getting this feedback, then, you know, definitely move towards that. Like just don't stay stuck and then, you know, you get lost and like figure right. out the, the time. So, right. So we all learn you have to be very flexible as an entrepreneur, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you mentioned before that you wear many hats, right? So, so are you the sole designer in your business? Yes, I am. I am the sole designer. I, I would love to get other people doing the design work or um, like overseeing the production. But right now we're still pretty small. Like we've only been around for four years now. So, um, so but I've been like looking into getting interns from like FIT or, or different mm -hmm. avenues, even like the local high school, that kind of a thing. But um, for the most part, I the other people that I work with, like subcontract them, like the, the sewers that we work with in um, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. you know, we just contract them out. But there's like nobody on full-time payroll right now. So it'll just okay. me and my, my husband doing most of the work. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Then how will you, what's the um, turning point for you? Like how, what have you decided would be that point where you definitively need to bring someone on? Because um, I think many people think you create a business, wow, it's, it's a great idea, and you should believe in it wholeheartedly. And I think for many of us, you think, oh, in a year, <laughs> I'll be able to staff up and do X, Y, Z, and that's yeah. not always the case. Right. But as we become more mature in business, we have to define that point where you, know, you can't do everything exceptionally well, and there's only with so much time in the day, so at some point you've got to possibly bring someone on. So like, how do you know, or how have you defined that point for you in your business? Yeah, for me it's been kind of, the first few years were like figuring out the best way to like make the product, kind of like perfecting it and polishing it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really want to bring anybody on until like I had that down for myself. Okay. And I felt like comfortable that I could train somebody else doing it. So that's why I brought in like, you know, a small production house in Brooklyn to like, make the patterns and everything, but I wanted to make sure it was perfectly, you know, patterned and graded so it fit well before I paid a lot of money to get, you know, produced in larger quantities. Um, mm -hmm. that, I mean, that didn't make any sense to, like, right. kind of start it off and not have it fit very well. If I have a bunch of it in stock, then I, you know, I can't really sell it. So um, for that point, that's when I brought in more people to help me um, with the production part. But okay. as far as, like, staffing somebody full-time, I think it has a big factor to do with, like, the funding and, and again like I've been kind of hesitant to go after getting more um, capital either through loans or you know investors or whatever until I feel like the model in the business has been completely like maybe I can't say it's solidified but just like where I know it's like working 100% and I feel comfortable with somebody else investing in me at that point you know what I mean right so now until I get that all together that I I feel more comfortable just in investing in myself it's like it's the point where and you bring other people right into it so okay yeah great. I mean, even when you mentioned before that so I guess initially you had to also create the patterns yeah so when did you decide okay I need to get a small production house or someone else that can do that so it can kind of alleviate and I mean I, I don't know like how intense it is to make a pattern or not but I'm assuming yeah. it's very involved because like you mentioned you have to get it perfectly correct so even for that um, stage of your business that was I'm sure a big decision to yeah. away from yourself and hire or outsource 
that element to another um, another body, basically. Yeah, because yeah, there's a whole process of doing the fittings and like correcting the pattern and doing more fittings. So yeah, I think it was probably within like a year and a half to two years when I brought in additional help. Um, and it was just mostly because I knew I wanted to have like a certain amount of sales, and in order to do that, I had to have a certain amount of product produced, you know, for different drops throughout the year, different seasons. So. At that point, I, I could do the math and be like, okay, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> like, I'm going to need other people to help me um, make these this many hats for, you know, every few months or whatever to make this amount of money in sales for my, my goals that way. So, at that point, that's when I was realizing, okay, I need to figure out a way to train other people to make it and um, get more help. Okay. Excellent. So, about your product, um, how many collections do you have? total or like well I mean currently I mean for each season do you have X number of collections that you put out in the marketplace do you limit that uh, yeah. I yeah I only do one collection okay. like right now we just have like a fall winter one and mm-hmm. for that we do about like four to five styles so we, we have it pretty small so okay. we try to we try to make it so they're like very classic styles and versatile and like these colorways that are you know have something neutral and it has something fun so it gives people like some kind of variety of how they want to style it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. okay well um how would you define or actually describe what makes your product unique or maybe even more unique than what's currently on the marketplace well right now we we do like a unique sizing where we have a lot of sizes that we offer so because what i found is like another kind of discrepancy is people, you know, in the focus groups that they wanted something where it's like adjustable for their kids. So it gives them, you know, wiggle room to grow so they don't grow out a bit too fast. But when you're playing with really small kids, um, that that kind of gives gives them like a longer wear out of it. But then when I was doing that, I found that people were saying, oh, it doesn't quite fit though. Like, so like they almost wanted it to fit like shoes. And with, you know, with shoes, they have so many different sizes, like they have like a large range. So we kind of changed it from having like fewer sizes um, with a little bit of like adjustment room or with either elastic or um, sometimes we do like a casing or ribbon casing where they could um, pull it out like a drawstring almost to moving it to where we had like a lot of sizes in because people wanted it to actually just like fit even though they were going to grow out of it. They just want it for like that one picture or one special occasion where it fit precisely so that's one thing that we do that I know it's harder for you know mass manufacturers to do is to have so many sizes like um in in for like one skew so we actually because we're smaller we can offer more sizes and more customization um and besides like doing like custom sizes or a, a larger size range we also offer like monogram tags so people can like personalize their gifts so we do like a leather hand tip um Thing with their initial on it so it, it becomes more of like a like a kind of like a like heirloom gift or something where they can hold on to it so even though if they outgrow it as a child the mom or the parents they can hold on to it have this like tiny hat to remind them of when they're you know kid with a so oh yes and we all we all get pretty nostalgic right as moms it's like yeah, special items that <laughs> the kid could be 20 years old and you're like i'm holding on to this you know yeah yeah or like they pass it down because like I remember when um, my son Adam was born, you know, my mother-in-law gave me old baby clothes that she had held on to for like 30 years. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Cool. So um, is this your first venture into entrepreneurship? It is, yeah. Like, I've, I've always wanted to start my own business, but I didn't know what it was going to be in, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when I just had, like, the need for my own self, when I was shopping for my own son, that's when I decided just to kind of, like, go for it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And um, what would you say is your greatest success in business so far? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe... I've just had a lot of, like, I would say luck with PR when it comes to, like, pitching stories and getting press, mm-hmm. um, especially, like, the first few years. It was, I, I don't know, like, I just kept getting acceptance for, like, blog posts or, like, um, even with the, um, the the segment that I did on the news, you know, it was, cause my, my hats were, like, next to, like, other big brands, like, freshly picked and that kind of thing, which is crazy to me because I had just started out and those brands, they've been on, like, Shark Tank, and they've been around for, and they probably have a lot more funding right. than I do, you know, so, um, for me, that's been my, probably my basic, my, my biggest, uh, success is, you know, doing PR pitches and getting people to respond to me. Right. <laughs> I'll pay a lot of money to do that, and I just, like, use Haro, you know, help a reporter out, um, okay. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, just write it myself. Right. I mean, in PR, regardless of what stage you are in business, it's always good, right? Yeah. Marketing ourselves and just getting a lot of PR out there forever to keep it going, you know? Yeah. So, as you are on, entrepreneurship is a bitch, but I love her. How would you, or what would you say would be your greatest challenge so far? Um, Regardless of whatever it is, you know, where you just go, turn this entrepreneurial thing, but I can't give it up because I love it, you know? So what would that challenge be? That one thing, or if there are more than one, that really gets you going or has gotten you going at some point? I think definitely it could be like sometimes a lonely kind of a journey sometimes. So for me, the best way that I found to like deal with that is um, finding like a network of people that I can talk to or have any mentors. Um, like one of them, uh, she has um, a lot of one-on-one coaching, or she'll do group chats like through Zoom, or mm-hmm. and you can talk to other entrepreneurs, you know, in the fashion industry or who that have like a product-based business. Okay. And, like feedback from them, you know, in lifetime, or they'll help me with my website, make sure right. like, my checkout process is, you know, seamless. Just like very practical things like that. Because um, when you're an entrepreneur, you just feel like you're alone in an echo chamber and like you want outside opinions and you right. want other people to like bounce off ideas with so that can be tough that can be really really tough so right. yeah spend a lot of time talking to ourselves and regurgitating the same yeah. ideas it's right, like right. nothing is changing it's just right, you right. talking to yourself so i know we do that often yeah. <laughs> yeah so and even talking to people outside the industry have been like super helpful mm-hmm. because they have great ideas about like marketing things or right different perspectives yeah yeah okay. so that's been like the biggest challenge for me so now does your husband work in the business with you he does work in the business with me he helps me a lot with um because he he does uh freelance full-time as a motion graphic animator and mm-hmm. visual effects mm-hmm. so he works a lot in the city he'll work at home sometimes um but when he's home with me he also like helps me with the website um doing like the back end work or the, the design and front and interface and 
setting up, you know, like he created my logo, like he, he does like all the, the branding to make sure everything is like cohesive as far as like colors and like fonts that we use, like right, right. all of that kind of thing. So he's also creative, which is like very helpful, but in a different way, like he's more technical than I am. Like I struggle with that. But when it comes to like computers and all that stuff. That's where I... A great combo. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it sounds like his support has been extremely valuable to you. Oh, yes, definitely. Like, 100%. Like, I, I feel like if you were doing it alone, you should definitely try to find someone to help you um, to support, even if you're just to call and, like, talk to, mm -hmm. you know, to make sure you're staying balanced, that kind of thing. Right. So, thankfully, right. I have my husband to help me with that. So. Yeah, that's a big plus. I mean, I've spoken to um, entrepreneurs who were in situations where their spouses were not supportive. It just makes the journey so much more difficult, you know? Yeah, so, and sometimes you don't know, and they may not know whether or not the support will be there until you're actually, you know. Yeah, until you're in it, because it can be tough. Like, I mean, I remember in our, like, uh, apartment before, you know, it was a lot smaller, so I would be, like, cutting fabric out, and there would be, like, pieces of fabric all over the kitchen table, and it would, like, shared your vision, right? Or he at yes. least supported yes. you enough to allow you to do what you needed to do, right? Because that's right, yeah. when you get there, whatever there is to you, whatever the success, however that's defined for you, he'll be, you know, relishing in it too, right? Yes. <laughs> Talk to my husband. Right, right. Yeah. Enjoying this too. <laughs> right, like you see that as a, an opportunity for us both to succeed, not just like, right. you know, same thing whenever he needs help with his work or whatever, like we always just try to support each other and whatever. Makes everyone much happier, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, my um, I'm wrapping up, but so you're a wife, um, but I'm gonna ask you two more questions even though we're wrapping up. <laughs> so you're, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a business owner. Um, so I would assume you have very little time for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you feel that self care is important, and if oh, so. Yeah. What do you do about it? Like, how do you take care of Markeisha? I definitely have my my days and times scheduled for myself, or like I constantly communicate with my husband. Like, you know, I need Keisha time right now. Like, I need to take Adam out to the park for a little while, or take him to the city, go to the you know natural history museum for a few hours, so I can just kind of like do my hair for four hours in a Sunday, <laughs> or like. That's important, yeah. Or even just clean the house. Like, so I just like nobody here, so I can clean my apartment. Um, or just having quiet, you know, quiet time for time is like so important. Or going for a walk. Like sometimes when I feel like I'm getting agitated or whatever, or like anxious about something, just even going outside to walk for like ten minutes is very, very helpful. Or right. um, just different things I do for myself um, to keep me like sane and centered. So. Right. It's amazing what a walk can do for you. Like, oh, especially yeah. if you work from home, just getting out of the environment. Is, I mean, if you're home, you're working, you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're doing whatever you need to yeah. do as a wife, mom, and business owner. Right. Yeah. So I do the same thing. I go for a walk, even if it's for a half hour to an hour. And it's amazing how you can just clear your mind and all these new thoughts start coming to you. Right. Or, yeah, like, are you amazing. Like, in the wall with, like, coming up with a solution to a problem? Like, just... Yes or even exercising or stretching for like a few minutes. Like 
to you next is what advice would you give to a new entrepreneur? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> just to know that it's going to be a marathon and not a sprint. So, mm -hmm. you know, just to be like patient with yourself, um, yeah. allow yourself to fail and learn from every time you fail um, instead of like throwing a pity party, you know, just yeah. learn how to recover quickly, um, learn how to pivot. You know, if you're going in a direction and if things aren't working, learn how to find a new direction um, to get to your goal, that kind of thing. But just right. understanding it's all going to be a process, so it's going to take time and you are going to constantly be learning new things. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, the pity party. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like you can indulge, but you've got 10 minutes. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, right. So I have a lot of time to like right. you know, talk about what you screwed up or whatever. You just got to learn from it and keep it moving. So. Yes. I mean, if I think about my own journey, I've had to pivot a few times. You know? Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, we all have. I, I totally had those moments. And I was like, okay, I don't have time for this. I need right, to right. <laughs> it happens. It's real. Yeah. So my last question is, what advice would you have for new entrepreneurs in fashion? Because I've spoken to quite a few people and everybody wants to be in fashion. Almost everybody, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but everybody wants to be in the fashion industry. Um, but it's not always as glamorous as people assume. And now that, I mean, you've made a career of it. You've been in the costume design world. You've been at Jones, New York, like you mentioned. Um, and now you, with your business, so you've had experience in different areas within the industry. So if someone is just starting out specifically in this industry, what would you say to them? Would it be the same? It could be the same advice too, but what would you say to them? Yeah, it's just very different when you're working in, um, like, I mean, I didn't work in like a high fashion house. I worked in more of like a corporate setting, mm -hmm. um, but it's still very different when you're working in like a corporate environment or with a company, you're, you know, kind of doing one role. Um, over and over again so but when you're having you're launching a company you're gonna be doing a lot of different things so mm -hmm. like yes to be just you know doing tech packs it's, it's not gonna be just doing draping or sourcing it's gonna be like a little bit of everything and um, learning how to communicate um, really well to people that you're working with and like your needs that's so important and um, yeah just be willing to like roll up your sleeves and do a little bit of everything it's not gonna be like like you said, super glamorous. It's gonna be a lot of long right. and running around. Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. Well, I am so appreciative that you have taken the time because I know it's busy. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, you've got to go to the market today. You've got to go into Brooklyn. Yeah. So, um, thanks for carving out some time to meet with me today. I appreciate it. And um, I'm hoping for all the viewers. I'm hoping that you got even one bit of a, a little nugget of something that can help you on your entrepreneurial journey. So again, Marquisha Velasquez, thank you so much for joining Entrepreneurship is a Bitch, but I love her show. Thank you. I love it. I love your whole like business and what you're doing and you thank know, you. making it real for everybody. I love it. So thanks. Great. great. <laughs> thanks so much. Bye. Bye, everyone. Take care. Thank you for hanging with me on the Entrepreneurship is a Bitch podcast. I hope that you continue to be inspired to grow your business and live your life to the fullest. I'd love to hear your thoughts on my content, so head over to entrepreneurshipisabitch.com and let's talk. Till next week, this is Bree Cobb signing off. Love the business you build and the life you create.